just a wonderful thing. Celine was the, and has been the co-director of our Grace Kids Ministry, along with Annika Napier. And uh, Celine, you have done a stellar job. Uh, your, your enthusiasm, your love for kids and their families, your godly life, your excellent teaching and organization has been a blessing to us, and we're going to miss you. Uh, we trust God will place you somewhere perfectly back in uh, New Brunswick, and he'll place you in a church family that will fit you just right. And uh, Trenton, we've, had, we've drunk a lot of coffee together, and uh, it's always been a joy to meet with Trenton. I'll tell you, that smile just makes my day. Uh, but Trenton is, is, is hungry to follow Jesus, has lots of good questions, and, uh, and I've always enjoyed our times together, and, and your, your leadership and your family is an example to us. Trenton is a pilot, and uh, he's uh, got a, a different kind of pilot's job down in New Brunswick, and uh, so that's been sort of one of the reasons they're leaving. But maybe the bigger reason is that both of your families are from there, all the grandparents, and it'll be nice for you to be back close together with them. So we just say thank you and goodbye this morning uh, to you. You're leaving in a couple of weeks, I think. A lot to do, no doubt, before you leave, and, uh, and, uh, and, and you've got to find a place to live and everything when you get down there. You're not you know, like in a tent or something, are you? Yeah. No. Okay, good, good. Let's pray. There's a, there's a great old blessing from the Old Testament which says, The Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so we pray that this morning. If I could rephrase it a little bit, Trenton and Celine and the girls, the Lord who is good, may he bless you. <clears throat> may you find his goodness in all kinds of ways as you continue on your life journey. May you feel, really feel his face smiling upon you as you move to New Brunswick and continue your life of service to God there. And may he be gracious to you, and may you often find yourself saying to each other, my goodness, the Lord is so gracious. And then it repeats and it says, and we pray this, that again you would feel the warmth of his smile and his affection for you, his gaze upon you, and in all the circumstances of life, maybe they're even hard, may you find a deep measure of his peace in your life. God bless you, Trenton and Celine and Sydney and Charlotte and Leah. Amen. Let's give them a hand for... <clears throat> The job posting that, uh, for replacement of Celine for working with our Grace Kids on a part-time basis will be coming to your uh, email uh, the, early this week. And so you'll be able to see the posting and its description, and we hope to hire, even from within the church, someone who knows our program and its people. And, uh, and, and it won't be posted for too long, so uh, as you see it, pray that God will fill it. Maybe it will be someone here in this room uh, this morning. That would be awesome. And uh, all the instructions will be in there. The second thing to tell you is that uh, uh, about cake. Uh, after the service, outside, there will be coffee and cake to celebrate uh, the, the McDonald family and to say goodbye to them. So uh, we look forward to that for sure. 
Grace kids, you are now released. Go quietly and just walk. Don't run to your classes. And uh, <coughs> you'll meet your volunteer uh, helper at the back door. And the rest of us can be turning in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. <coughs> A little book in the New Testament called Colossians. Uh, in the third chapter, we've, uh, this is our third week on this little series. And uh, the last two Sundays, we've covered chapter 1 <coughs> and chapter 2 of Colossians. This week, chapter 3. Let me pray and then we'll begin. Lord, we thank you for, for this moment. Thank you for just the beautiful thing it is when your people uh, gather and are led by your spirit to fellowship and care for each other, to sing and worship and to pray together. And so we just uh, commit the Grace Kids and their classes to you now, praying that you would be speaking your truth and your words and your love into their hearts and we just pray the same thing for us who remain in the auditorium, praying in Jesus' name for his glory and for his joy over us. Amen. <clears throat> so the first two chapters of Colossians, and Colossians, uh, if you've missed this, is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written to uh, Christians in the city of Colossae back in uh, around uh, A.D. 50-ish, you know, somewhere in there, just early in the, early in the, uh, uh, after the de death of Jesus. And uh, a little church had sprung up there of Christians and of Christ followers in Colossae, so we call them the Colossians. And Paul wrote a letter to them, though he'd never met them. Uh, but he had some things to say to them and encourage them with and challenge them with. And so we're studying our way through that letter uh, and uh, just uh, letting those things speak to us today, 2,000 years later. They're so relevant. And I'll speak of this a little later on this morning. But the first two chapters have been more theological and doctrinal in nature because the Colossians were facing some, uh, some strange and wrong teachings about life and God and Christ. And Paul was making corrections to them to, to strengthen and fortify the Christians to stand firm for the truth. And so he was arguing for the, for the uh, full deity of Jesus, that Jesus was God in the flesh. He was arguing that Jesus had a physical body. That sounds strange. We, we all think, oh yeah, we know that. But the Colossians were being taught that Jesus did not have a physical body, that he was only a spirit. And Paul is correcting that and saying, oh no, yes he did. And that physical body suffered physically for us on the cross. And then he's arguing that salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. Uh, and, uh, and that is, the, those things uh, ring true to our faith as we follow it today. So those were some things he's been arguing. But now as we get into chapter 3, Paul's going to change gears a little bit and start talking very practically about practical aspects of the lives that Christians should be living as we follow Christ. So we'll, we'll get into that and uh, hopefully learn and apply and apply and apply and apply all these things to our living, our thinking, our words, our, our behaviors, our attitudes uh, as we follow Christ. So that's what we're going to encounter in Colossians chapter 3 and uh, some in chapter 4 as well. <clears throat> Are you a Christian? Not everybody is, and perhaps not everybody in this room is. We're glad you're here and that you're searching, you're listening, you're thinking. Uh, those of us who are Christians, may we be challenged this morning to follow Christ with sincerity and integrity. And those who are not Christians, I challenge you to listen and to learn 
and to take that step to give your life to Christ. Becoming a Christian is uh, one of the easiest things you'll ever do and one of the hardest things you'll ever do. When I say it's one of the easiest things you ever do, you will find in the Christian gospel that everything that needs to be done for you to know Christ is already done. It was done already for you at the cross. Jesus died for your sins, paid for your sins, and has made things right with God and offers all of that to you as a gift, a gift of grace. But you do need to come and receive the gift and give your life to Jesus. Nothing for you to do, no works, just surrender and believe. But it's also the hardest thing you'll ever do in one sense, and that is, He's your Lord. I spoke of Star Trek last week, and I go back to Star Trek again. Sorry. In the Star Trek The Next Generation, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, etc., um, which was my favorite, <coughs> uh, the, the, uh, of course, Jean-Luc Picard was the captain of the ship, the Enterprise. And uh, he had a, a right-hand man, second-in-command, named uh, Riker. Uh, Commander Riker, and Riker was uh, <coughs> sort of the, the next in charge, and, and if, and if uh, Jean-Luc Picard, the captain, ever had to leave the bridge, the bridge was the control center of the whole ship, where all decisions were made and all directions were given, and if the captain ever had to leave the bridge, you know, to beam down to a planet or something, he had, he, when he left his captain's chair, it must not remain empty. Someone must sit in the captain's chair, and that was always Commander Riker, who was called number one, uh, if, 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 if Picard left the bridge. And it would happen this way, there would be a short interchange, and everyone would hear it on the bridge, they would know who's in charge. Captain Picard would say, as he's leaving, you have the chair, number one. And that meant Riker would sit there and be captain. When you become a Christian, it's time for you or me to get up out of the captain's chair and turn to Jesus and say, you have the chair, my Lord. That might be the hardest thing you ever do. It'll also be the sweetest thing you ever do. I pray for those who don't know Christ to take that step and follow him and yield the chair to the Lord Jesus in your life. We're going to talk about the life that he calls us to live now as Christians. <clears throat> Let's read the first four verses of chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. The idea there that a Christian is being told, you have died, what he means is your old life is gone. Your old life has died with Jesus on the cross. A new life has now appeared and is to be lived by you in the power and under the leading of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a little bit complicated, that, that paragraph we just read. So my, uh, and I'm not going to dig deeply into it, but I'm going to give you a little exercise, and it's something that you can do with all the time when you're reading the Bible and uh, studying passages. The exercise is try to summarize that 
paragraph or that whole chapter or that verse, try to summarize it in one sentence. A sentence simple enough that a six-year-old could understand it. Because if you can do that, that probably means that you understand it and you're able to do that. So here's my two or three attempts to do that. I'm not saying any one of them is better than the other. Just, I'll just give you a, 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 an example. And then as you go home, I would love for you to go back and look at various aspects of this chapter and do that little exercise. How would I say all that in one sentence? Here's uh, my attempt for what we just read. Never take your eyes off Jesus. There you go. Or, Jesus is everything. Keep him foremost in your heart and mind. Or, you are safe now. You are hidden with Christ in God. Or another one, Jesus, first in your heart, first in your thoughts, your place of refuge and strength. I'll leave it with you to write your own little sentence to try to capture the essence of Colossians 3, 1 to 4, but we'll move on. <clears throat> Verses 5 to 9, Paul addresses some of the old pre-Christian aspects of living, uh, things that have to do with immorality, sexual immorality, and greed, and idolatry, and anger, and rage, and malice, terrible things, things that destroy our life. That's why they're so evil. They hurt us. They destroy our life. And Paul's talking about putting them off now that you are a Christian. He's saying things have changed. Let's read the passage, verse 5 to uh, about uh, 10. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. Notice, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now, remember, things have changed. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Jesus used to say that all evil behavior originates in evil hearts. The inward heart is the source of the problem. If someone is behaving in a certain way that's destructive or evil or harmful, it, it didn't just happen, it, it comes from within. Jesus came to change our hearts, to cleanse them and rebuild them in his image. He said it this way in Mark chapter 7, for from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Quite a list. And it's just a representative list. Unfortunately, there are many more evils. And he concluded and said, all these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. That's why our greatest problem is our own sinful hearts that need to repent, trust Christ, and bow the knee before him. 
The Christian faith does not propose to change us from the outside through the enforcement of rules and laws, do this, don't do this, do more of this, do less of that, etc. Christ takes direct aim at our hearts, inviting us to kneel before him, believe, and follow. We'll keep reading. I'm sorry to go so fast. Verse 11. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. <clears throat> An interesting picture Paul paints there of, of some kind of a, a, a community of people. And the people are all very different from each other, but they're not really caring about the difference. There's, there's no distinctions. And some of the distinctions that Paul is, uh, is referring to as examples are, uh, first of all, he says there's no Greek or Jew. And uh, Greeks were kind of la creme de la creme of cultured and sophisticated people in their day. They spoke not those other barbarian languages. They spoke Greek, classical Greek. And they were proud of their language and of their culture and of their philosophers that, that, uh, that, 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 that helped form their culture. And they would tend to look down on every other culture. The Jews, on the other hand, not the philosophical stuff, they were la creme de la creme of religion. And they knew the true God, and they had all of God's commandments, and they looked down on everybody who wasn't a Jew. And then Paul refers to the circumcision and the uncircumcision, rep representing people who were on the in-group and people who were not on the in-group. To the Jew, if you were circumcised, of course, you were in. And if you weren't, you were out. You were unclean. And uh, again, distinctions, 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 drawing lines, boundaries. You belong, you don't belong. And then he goes on and he mentions barbarians. You might live with some barbarians, I don't know. <coughs> Called teenagers. <coughs> Love you teenagers. Uh... Barbarians didn't speak Greek. They were from other nations, kind of up north, northern, uh, north of Greece, and, and uh, they were crude, profane, violent, and just, just not very nice people, especially if you were a Jew or if you were a Greek. They were barbarians. And then he mentions Scythians. Scythians were barbarians on steroids. They were like really bad and they were violent and vulgar and crude and, and just slaughtered and destroyed people and just seemed so destructive and, uh, and, and that was kind of the culture that they came from. And then he mentions slave and free and I think we know slaves and free and the difference, etc. But Paul is saying, notice how he begins this verse. He says, here, where is here? It's in the family of God. It's the Christian. And where Christians are, here, there is no Greek or Jew. There is no circumcision or uncircumcision. There is no barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. How can that be? That's amazing. Do we not all still have our distinctions today that we have, we, you know, some societies have classes and, and some of us have 
We deny it, but we have our distinctions. And some of it has to do with the kind of car you drive, the kind of watch you wear. You could have a $29 watch like John here that's 10 years old. Just keeps ticking, so I'm not getting a new one. Or, and you could have a, like a $5,000 watch, and maybe there's room for a distinction. Be careful. Uh, it could be the clothes that you wear, the education that you have, or your economic status. We have our distinctions, but Paul says, here, we don't have those anymore. That's a tall task, and quite a, quite a description of something quite amazing. How is that even possible? <clears throat> that we would live together that way in such unity and love. I'll give you two reasons. One is the line at the end of verse 11. You're watching for it? What does it say? But Christ is all and is in all. Only where Christ is absolutely all important and my little distinctions are not important any longer, we can set them aside because Christ has saved every last one of us he made no distinction. He died for the sins of the Scythian just as much as he died for the sins of the Jew and the Greek. And we've got to get that through our heads when we are, when we are together with one another. He's everything. Our distinctions are nothing. Christ is all and is in all. Perhaps there would be a church gathering somewhere and there'd be some guy who was raised as a barbarian and he's sitting there and he's burping in church or whatever the barbarians did and, and the Greek guy is just like this, you know, and all of a sudden he realizes, wait a minute, wait a minute, and he comes back to the, that important principle. Christ is everything here, not my little sensitivities that bother me, but no, let's, let's, let's calm down. Christ is in all. He's in my brother here too. I'm going to put my arm around him and get to know him a little bit afterwards. I don't know, something like that. That's one pathway to, to seeing this actually be lived out in the church. And the other pathway has to do with our new clothing. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Don't read this too fast, folks. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's as far as we're going to go in this chapter this morning. There's, there's more words about families and parenting and, and the, the slave and free culture in, in that culture that he's addressing and how to, how to follow Christ even in those situations. We, we won't be able to go there this morning. I want to go back to the clothing that we're given. He says, clothe yourselves. So you come to Christ. 
And you kneel before him and you place your faith completely in him. And he reaches down and he takes your hand and he pulls you to your feet. And he puts his arm around your shoulder and you begin to walk together. He invites you, let's, let's walk together. Let's walk down the road here. And as you walk, he, he's looking at your coat. And he remarks on your ragged coat and he reaches over your shoulder and he looks at the tag on the back of your neck. <clears throat> and he kind of reads it out loud and it says, the coat of selfishness. And he says to me, he would say, it doesn't look good on you, John. Why don't you take it off? I'm going to look here in my little knapsack and get you a new coat. And we'll put it on and we'll see how it looks on you. And so he pulls it out and you take your coat off. And you peek at the label as it's going on and it says, the coat of care and concern for the well-being of others. And he says, there. That looks really good on you, John. Really good indeed. Make sure you put it on every day. Clothe yourselves. <clears throat> Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, self-control. Bearing with one another, whoever has a grievance against anyone, and forgiving each other, Here's the kicker, as Christ has forgiven you. I'm like, oh boy, that's going to be hard. It is hard. We're called to it. This is serious stuff. Let's make a few notes here as we finish up. I want you, first of all, to take note of the relevance of the words and the message of this 2,000-year-old chapter. It's not somewhat relevant. It's shockingly relevant. Is compassion still relevant in our society? Oh, yeah. Is there still impurity, lust, and greed in our society? Uh-huh. Rage, anger, malice? Is gentleness still a desirable and relevant quality? Yes. And patience <laughs> and forgiveness and love. <clears throat> when I first began to read the New Testament seriously in my early 20s, I had to keep checking to see if the ink was dry on the pages. It seemed like it had been written that morning. It is so relevant. Don't tell anybody that's a dusty old book that has no relevance to today. It's shockingly relevant. And we need to pay attention. Number two, in describing and laying out this amazing depiction of, Christ -centered, of a Christ-centered community of his followers, I want us to notice our part, and I want us to notice his part. What do I mean by that? in the changes that must take place. Because you've all heard, well, I can't change myself. God has to change me. And I think some Christians are sitting around saying, well, I'm still so impatient because God hasn't changed me yet. I'd like to challenge that because we are told to rid yourselves of certain things. 
It doesn't say sit around and wait till God cleans you up in, in, in our behaviors. Our soul, our salvation, he does it all. But in our sanctification and in our growth and our progress, we are given challenges and responsibilities. It says to rid yourselves, put on these new clothes. And so there are some things that only God can do, and that is he gives us the grace to change, he gives us the, the, the willingness, he, et cetera. He, he'll help us do it, but we have to be willing. We have to make the decision, time to tackle that by the grace of God. I need his help, yes, then I'm going there, rather than avoiding it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a, 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 a turning the lights on in a room. The current is in the wires. It's all there, the energy, the force, the strength of the current is in the wires, but a switch needs to be pulled. That's our task, is to flick the switch and say, Lord, I invite you in here to change my life now. And somehow there's, there's some kind of a teamwork, some kind of a working together between God and me. And, uh, and I want us to notice that because it tells us to take action. It tells us to bear with those that need to be, have, be, be, be born with. It tells us to forgive others. It tells us to do things like that. And so we need to see those commandments and follow through on them. Do not lie to one another, it says. Clothe yourselves, put on that clothing, etc. And so I wanted us to notice that and take the challenge. Third point is, uh, is how hard this is. It is. We, we need his help. Absolutely. We need his grace. It's a strong, growing up, deep and strenuous challenge, the path that Christ calls us to. It really is. There are some people who say, well, I don't want to become a Christian. That's just for weak people and for wimps and for people with problems. <clears throat> These people, they say, I want something ready to challenge my life. I want a big mountain to climb. And, and if that is you this morning, I set before you the path of discipleship, of following Christ. It's harder than you would ever think. But it's a joy to walk with him on that path. Paul said, once in another place, 1 Corinthians 13, he said, I might do great things. I might speak with the tongues of men and of angels. I might have mountains of faith. I might have insight and knowledge. I might do all these things, he said, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. And the love is the inner heart. We can climb great mountains of faith and do great things for God and do great things in this world, but if we have not climbed and conquered the that mountain of impatience in your heart, that mountain of unkindness, that mountain of malice in your heart. Paul says we're nothing. And he calls us to climb the highest and hardest mountain of all. The path of discipleship goes right through the middle of the human heart. Have you yielded your heart to Christ in a serious, intentional way? There's an old hymn that says, Rise up, O church of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Take the challenge. Finally, um, I've called this the title today, uh, something like living the resurrection life or something like that. Some time ago, I was reading through, I think it was the Gospel of Mark. And um, 
I got to the end of Mark, of course, the resurrection is always in the last chapter of each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I got to the end of Mark, and I read about the resurrection. And there's, there's part of the chapter that may or may not have been part of the original documents. Uh, it's, it's fine stuff, but, but the, the, the stuff we're sure of is the first eight verses of, of Mark. And so I read about the resurrection in the, in the first eight verses, and I got to, the, to verse eight, and I thought, that's really brief. I flipped over to Matthew and I, I read Matthew's account. It's got 20 verses to describe the greatest event that ever happened in human history. 20 verses. Then I read Luke. It's got 53. And John has two chapters. But if you put them all together, it's about less than six pages. Right now I'm reading The Lord of the Rings. Probably 13, 1400 pages I thought, what was the Holy Spirit thinking that the most important event in all of human history, he gives it six pages? It's so brief. Think of, think of the events that have happened, the landing on the moon, world changing, uh, the dropping terribly of, of, of the, the, the atomic bomb in Japan in, in 1945 or the, 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 the World Trade Center 9-11 that happened back in 2001. And think of the millions and millions of words that have been written about those events because they're so important. Six pages? What are you thinking, Lord? You should, have, you should have inspired a lot more stuff to be written and then maybe people would be convinced that the resurrection really happened and Jesus really is who he said he is. And then it struck me. He's told us everything that happened. He told us about Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. He told us about coming out of the tomb and that he lived and that he spoke and that he had a, a physical body. The resurrection really happened and he got it all done in six pages. Yeah, less than that, really. And it's as if he says, now, church, it's over to you. Live like I've risen. If you do, people will be touched and they'll be drawn to Christ. If you don't, people will not be convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. People today need to meet real Christians who really are living out Colossians chapter 3, who are wearing their coat of humility and gentleness and compassion and kindness, who really do bear with one another. I know we fumble and we fail and we drop the ball, but just get back on the horse and keep riding. Just say, Lord, I blew it. Help me today. Don't give up. Don't quit. Uh, back to the Lord of the Rings. There's a section I just read about King Theoden, Lord of the Mark, and he was uh, living a very oppressed life because he had hired himself a counselor, and the counselor's name was Wormtongue. And Wormtongue was an evil little creep. And he used to speak words of discouragement and words of darkness to Theoden. And, uh, and he used to tell him it's all over and the enemy's going to win and you're all washed up and you're too old, Theoden. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. And Theoden, the poor guy, was just like he was half dead sitting in his throne and he was ready to surrender everything to the enemy. And finally Gandalf comes into his presence and he rebukes Wormtongue for being a liar and a discourager, sends him out sprawling on the floor and he raises up Theoden and breathes new hope, new life 
and new belief into his life that he is still the king of the land and he should lead his troops, and he does. And I think a lot of Christians, and maybe the church in many ways today, are like King Theoden, listening too much to the devil. Can't do it. This culture's going to overwhelm me. Ah, look at all the failures in the church. We're part of a bunch of losers. Don't believe it for a minute. Jesus, speak your words of hope into our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord, the old hymn says, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me, make me after your will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. It's important that we tell the world, Lord, that you are risen and very much alive today. Our prayer is that we would live like you really are risen. That we would display the unmistakably Christ-changed lives that is spoken of here. Lord, you haven't called us to raise the dead. You haven't called us to walk on water or to feed 5,000 with loaves and fishes. You've called us to be kind, compassionate, righteous, holy, forgiving, and gentle, and so much more. Fill us with your spirit. May your church live like you rose from the dead.